everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined, you know, as many times by uh, by Equalizer contributor, Party Katri. Um, real quick, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this already knows, but we are going to be discussing the contents and the themes of the piece that Meg Linehan and Katie Strang put out on The Athletic this week. Uh, I do want to just do a quick content warning if if you haven't heard or if you're not sure that this is a discussion that you want to listen to today. This is going to include details of abuse and sexual coercion. Um, Just want to do a quick content warning. We're going to do our best to talk through it as best we can. as always, just like, please turn this off if it feels like this is getting too heavy. So we're just going to do our best to talk through this. So party, you know, I, I don't want to throw too many questions your way. Cause I want to <laughs> bear some of the burden of this as well. Um, but maybe, maybe we'll start with what were you feeling on Thursday when, when you read this piece and maybe just quickly to give a sum up of, of what this covered, um, North Carolina courage manager, Paul Riley, uh, has had his coaching license revoked. He has been terminated by the North Carolina courage due to a story in the athletic detailing years of manipulation and sexual coercion, specifically in his time in Philadelphia and WPS and his time in Portland in the early NWSL by uh, Sinead Fairley and Monashim, who were so brave as to put their names on record and talk about what happened to them. In the larger context, this was also a story of a system that also failed these players. Um, There's evidence that Portland general manager Gavin Wilkinson knew about Riley's misconduct, as did Portland Thorns owner Merritt Paulson. Lisa Baird, commissioner of the NWSL, uh, was on record um, in emails as knowing about these allegations as early as April of this year. And she turned in her formal resignation, I believe, on Friday. So party kind of tell me, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me how you are. Well, uh, it helps that I've had a few days to process it, but I really the entirety of Thursday, because it was a story that dropped basically as all of us were waking up, um, was just a immense sadness and genuine anger at the end of the day. Um, I think the thing that hit me the hardest was just seeing it spelled out the levels of uh, complicity, the number of enablers for Paul Riley alone and realizing that combined with a story from the Washington Post that broke that day about Fareed Ben-Steady and earlier stories from the Washington Post about Richie Burke and this year still Christy Holly being fired for cause, at least the Hugh uh, getting out of Gotham after she was uh, was found to break member uh, rules in the anti harassment policy. Just it's just so sad to know that that many different leaders in this league just have completely failed in their responsibility to create the very basic safe and professional working environment. Um, it, I mean, I think for a long time, it wasn't a secret that the leaders in this league and the players didn't necessarily have the best relationship that 
the players, I mean, they've made it very clear for a while now that there were certain disagreements, that there were certain unprofessional standards that needed to be changed. I mean, we're talking about a group of players that is currently in the middle of negotiating its first CBA. So, of course, this stuff was going to come up. But I think the level of failure was just saddening, some degree shocking. Um, and yeah, yeah, the really it 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 is a heartbreaking scenario, and I just I cannot believe how much these players have had to go through just to play this game. Yeah, um, right. There's a there's a lot to unpack, I think, because over the last couple of months, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows this because we've talked about it. <clears throat> a number of what you would call bad actors have been removed from the league. Like you said, in Gotham, in Washington, in Louisville, in um, Tacoma. And so you say, okay, wow, there are a lot of people who abuse their power in this league. And then there is also this system within the league that enables that. And there are people within the league that enable that. And so you say, well, both things need to be eradicated. You know, both things need to be fixed. And I think perhaps for me, because we talk about there some things that are not secrets. It's not a secret that the NWSL has been really working on um, shoestring budgets and small staffs and slow controlled growth that at the beginning of the league was touted as the reason why it was going to live. They said, we're not WPS. We're not going to spend all of this money and lose all of this money. In fact, we're going to live because we're going to have a very controlled, um, sustainable way of doing things. And then within that, I guess, because you feel optimistic about the sport and you see the players and you're, you like the players and they seem happy or, or they seem okay. You think, well, all of this has to be temporary. There needs to be growth, but as long as everybody is taking care of each other, this is going to be okay for a little while. And I would say probably where I have changed even just in the last couple of years is I think that is partially true that if you have people who can take care of each other and people who are invested in one another, you can get through some of those things in order to make sure that this whole enterprise keeps going. But the NWSL is at this intersection of both of people who are using this as an opportunity to, be, to abuse other people and a system that due to, you know, whatever its own limitations, its own, whatever poverty that, that the owners are feeling that isn't helping players either. Yeah. And so it's just, a, it's a giant mess. And I think what we're finding now is that the obsession within the league of living, of maintaining, of, you know, not of keeping this status quo so that there can be a domestic league has really hurt people. 
Um, and I don't know if the system itself has to be completely deconstructed, but obviously there have to be more robust checks and balances to stop this from happening. So let's get into maybe some of those things. Hiring. It seems like with hiring in a system like this one, it should be okay if you hire the right people. A number of clubs have shown that they don't actually have the ability to do that. So for you, Party, in your perspective, is that does that lay at the individual hirers or does that lie in just the struggle of a league to get good people invested in it? Hmm, that's a great question. I think where I would like to start with that is the first thing you mentioned that there are clearly some people with, or maybe a lot of people with decision-making power in this league that are just straight up bad at hiring mm-hmm. because we can talk about, if you want to talk about just alone, somebody like Richie Burke and somebody like Fried Ben and actually someone like um, Christy Holly too. Those are all people who, if you do a simple Google search before they're hired or before they're even interviewed, while you're looking for candidates for coaches, you might be able to find this stuff. Mm-hmm. You might be able to find something that could tur- or that could be a symbol of a pattern of behavior or just maybe one thing that should make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, at least a little bit. So that is unquestionably a problem in this league. And mm-hmm. I think the other owners are bad at holding each other accountable. Yeah. Even if there's a, you know, there's a group of owners, maybe a ownership, one owner or two owners who are good at, you know, finding the right people and hiring the right people. You know, obviously there are a couple of owner, uh, clubs that haven't been embroiled in this uh, series of scandals this year. They don't, it's not like they're shaming the owners that get it wrong. When they have the power to, they have the ability to. After all, they're all equal partners in the NWSL. And they all, up until now, had equal power in making decisions at the league level. These are the people that also hired Lisa Baird, who, fine, maybe doesn't have a history of um, either abusive behavior or um, complicity in abusive behavior, enabling it at least a public one, but she also didn't have a history of doing anything other than marketing. Well, and she did marketing for, for the U S Olympic committee, which has its own history of taking care of itself first. To be fair, the NFL too. Yeah. Which who she other worked for also. So yes, I think in retrospect and hindsight, the hiring of, of Lisa Baird by the owners was with this intention. You know, I don't know. I am definitely of the opinion. I, and I wrote a piece about this for a different website, but I don't think that this was the NWSL's protocols failing. I think it was working. I think this is what this league was set up to do, which was to maintain its own existence um, in a private 
lack of transparency, essentially. Right. Um, I think every single person involved in leadership as of last week fundamentally misunderstood what it meant to be leaders in this league. Right. And, right. When you hire, when they hired Lisa Bear, the intention was to officially mark the start of a new era in the NWSL and in American women's soccer, right? It was on the back of this incredibly popular World Cup. And finally, it was like, okay, we can meet maybe the marketing potential of this league or of women's soccer, women's sports in general. They anticipated that really well. What they didn't anticipate was literally every other demand of the job, which included having a decent relationship with players who now for several years had slowly but clearly uh, started unionizing, started really making demands of a professional working environment to fail to fail to to anticipate at least some of that was a ridiculous miscalculation, but it wasn't just Lisa Baird's miscalculation. Right. Right. And I think that that is where we're stuck now. Right. Is some things have happened. Lisa Baird has resigned. They have appointed a new executive committee with representatives from Orlando, O.L. Rain, and Casey Woso. Um, and they've talked about their internal processes and their internal protocols and how they're taking, you know, outside um, uh, counsel to, to figure out how to make that more objective, make sure that there are systems in place for anonymous reporting. That was a big part actually of the story um, in the athletic was what these players found in, in the, you know, there are two stories here. There is the story of, of Paul Riley and how he was allowed to abuse players for years. And then there is the story of how those players tried to get this story told at least internally. And one of the issues back in 2015 and one of the issues now was this idea of anonymity. And I think that that's an interesting point because when you do have a structure set up, and we'll talk about this more in a second in terms of NWSL contract structure and and power dynamics. But when that is so imbalanced, if you are a player who wants to keep playing in the league, if you have your name on an accusation like that, there are going to be adverse effects and And remember this did this fail uh, this uh difficulty to report anything came up in the washington post reporting on richie burke and which my akaya mccullough spoke um on the record about right exactly you have a number of players who have stories to tell and fear retaliation and rightly so um and and so maybe this is the next question which is you have this the ownership group looking within themselves and saying, okay, we need to have outside counsel tell us the best processes in order to make this feel okay for the players. Um, But with out a CBA and with this, the contract structure, the semi-guaranteed contracts that can be terminated by teams at any time or the um, perpetuity of player rights ownership, in in discovery, it can never be balanced without that stuff getting fixed, right? Absolutely. I mean, 
unprofessional working conditions or or at least let's just start with describing NWSL players as underpaid. Right. That doesn't necessarily have to be a breeding ground for power imbalances, but it also can be a really great foundation if you couple uh, or pair underpaying players with the list of burdens that has fallen on NWSL players to date. Um, Obviously it was only a few years ago that Gotham then sky blue was not providing players with water at training. They, uh, they didn't have showers at their stadium. I mean, that's just one example, right? When you, but when you combine all of these burdens, you, the power imbalances become so stark. Clearly it can lead to anything from owners and leaders just not really understanding the impact of them penny pinching Mm -hmm. to a point where it actually is really, really bad for player welfare. And then obviously coaches who can then take all of that stuff into consideration, you know, owners who maybe don't care that players are uh, really uh, that players are so disadvantaged by the way they run the club and Maybe certain, I mean, that was the thing. Again, I keep referencing the Richie Burke story, mm-hmm. but that was the thing there. In the Richie Burke story, there was that whole dynamic of the first team and the second team, quote unquote, the first team players who, were, who weren't touched, but the second team players, I got to see his full wrath. That because now at different levels from teammates to coaching to ownership to even league leadership now these players have a feel that there are absolutely no avenues in which they can be supported that they're completely oppressed because nobody else cares or knows and then on top of that you create and then one horrible working condition is not having the ability to report things anonymously clearly it's just been a breeding ground for horrible treatment of disadvantaged players because the league has set them up to be very disadvantaged from the get-go. Right. Um, right. And, and I think maybe where I'm at with it as well is of course, I think that changing the processes are good. And I think that establishing, um, more staffing to HR is good. And I think that all of those things are very important. And we've seen a number of corporate structures have to do this over the last couple of years, but, I don't think I don't think that this is a problem, though, that the league can solve itself because this is the same league that thought everything prior to this was okay, And so that's where I do think that a an empowered union that right now, I would say, has all of the leverage in CBA negotiations, they have to give them that. And I think maybe this is another thing that really sticks with me is this idea of control where with Richie Burke or with Paul Riley, there is an element or even Fareed Bensidi and the way he chose to uh, control players' bodies, you know, this idea that this emotional abuse, this grooming, this manipulation is about control. And when you have created a culture so obsessed with that on record, it's written into, you know, the, the, the root of this entire league. If you thought that was okay from the beginning, 
how are you going to be the person who is going to fix this when it has bred this kind of awful behavior that has quite frankly ruined people's lives. Right. So, to me, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's just, that's the one thing that looms over this for me, the human cost of this at the very least carelessness at the most, obviously a downright disregard for someone's humanity in the pursuit of control it really right like the human cost is unacceptable sometimes like you know this league has been accused of unprofessionalism on something as almost little as kickoff time for the final this year and still you can probably make a reasonable argument okay the human cost is small there but it it just it the human cost is huge here the human the human cost is huge and i think this is the thing that, again, it's what I find so frustrating is that the control element does not cost money. I think that can you, you want to talk about minimum salaries or um, in, incentive, incentives, you know, for, for getting raises over years or, um, or allocation money or facilities or whatever, you know, I think that if you want to talk about the limitations of the budget, the control element does not really change that. And I think that that is where I'm like, I have lost trust in this ownership group that this is about good stewardship of the league. If you have a hard salary cap, free agency should not be frightening because there's a limit to how much money can be spent on your roster. So take that element away. If you're afraid of players walking, why is that? Why do you think that you're going to have players that want to walk away from your club or why that would be embarrassing to you or good for your opposition? And if they can't take the step past that to say, oh, this impulse, this competitive impulse to want to control this is actually what is causing hurt then the CBA, the the Players Association, has to just insist that that happens anyway. Absolutely. So then maybe my next question is, we've seen two people leave. We saw Lisa Baird and Lisa Levine leave at the end of this last week. Does more have to happen? Yes, unquestionably. I'm, I'm with you with what you just said. I don't have a lot of faith in the way this league is currently structured, even with the new executive committee to really fix this. Right. I mean, luckily for the, for the three members or yeah, I don't know if luckily is the right word, but the three members of the executive committee, Amanda Duffy, uh, Angie Long and uh, from OL rain, Sophie Sauvage. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, They weren't named in any of the reporting on any of these misconduct situations this year. But the one thing that I can't quit thinking about is that these are, these are only the stories we know. I don't know the stories we don't know. I don't know who's involved in them and who isn't. And more importantly, I don't think there has ever been one leader in 
the history of these ownership groups or these leadership groups that's really demonstrated an ability to want this league to be better than it is right. in these categories. Now, I'm not saying that they that the members of the executive committee aren't committed to that, but they haven't demonstrated it and they didn't demonstrate it before this last week. So there I I am very I think right now what I really want is a completely independent body at the very least, looking into working conditions in this league. And I don't want it for a couple of months or a year. I think it might have to be a really long-term thing. Yeah. Um, right. And I think I, 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 I go back and forth on it, honestly, on whether I think there needs to be swifter action in removing people from the league. I think one particular um, thing a, a lot of fans are focused on is is the Thorns because they are a big part of this story. Um, Gavin Wilkinson, the general manager of the Thorns, was in this story as as being very dismissive of of Monashim, and and there were some elements of of what she considered to be homophobia in there. Um, and actually, Merritt Paulson, as we were recording, he released an open letter talking about what he would like to do better with the club that does not mention suspending or removing Gavin Wilkinson. Now the league is reopening the investigation into what happened in 2015. I don't know if they are waiting for the results of that investigation to make a decision on the higher ups in Portland. Um, I don't know. And this is a similar feeling that I have for the removal of Lisa Baird. I don't know if a vacuum of uh, leadership is better than the flawed leadership that is already there. Though I do think that Lisa Baird's conduct in this story was absolutely just grounds for her termination. But I also don't think at this point that this is a tenable situation necessarily in Portland because the fans have been very clear and we still don't know just yet how the players feel. And we'll talk, I do want to talk about that as well in a second, but Pardeep, do you think that this has to come to a head? People want more. They want dismissals. They want consequences for what happened. I, I think (laughs) that is a totally fair ask from fans from players from anyone watching this league or paying attention to it um if i recall collect correctly it was the players association on thursday before paul riley was fired or before that was announced at least who said that if investigations are reopened that anybody involved in those investigations should be suspended while they happen right and I don't know to what degree they will. I mean, they should obviously completely and fully reopen an investigation to Paul Riley and as well as any other instances of abusive power or misconduct in this league. But if they reopen it to a significant degree as they should on just the Paul Riley one alone, then Gavin Wilkinson should probably be suspended right away. Right. And I believe he also holds a position of power in MLS Mm -hmm. MLS should suspend him from that too. Then he should just be suspended 
period. Yeah. For me, you know, I know that there are processes that go that have to, that happen for before someone is terminated. And I know why those processes occur, but the lack of suspension is right. Wild to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think on the MLS thing, this, I mean, the Portland thorns are obviously part of the Portland Timbers organization. It's a point that I was actually talking to somebody else about this at one point. This is not just a problem about a few people. It's not just a Sinead Farrelly problem. It's not just a Monashim problem. It's not just a Paul Riley problem. And it's not just an NWSL problem. Right. I think that there are really a lot, the, the amount of people that probably need to take these reports into consideration is quite large. Yeah. It's a really vast problem that I think you, you already alluded to, you know? Well, and I know the fear from, from myself and from a lot of other people is that we have this one story. We finally got this one story told. So what else is out there? Um, a story, you know, this particular story makes a lot of people look bad. It makes the Western New York flash look bad. It makes the thorns look bad. It makes Lisa Baird look bad over years and years, right? The North Carolina courage too for not. Yeah, maybe, their response, their yeah. response was very flippant in the story, right? Um, yes, it was only due to the uproar of the story itself. I think that's a point worth making. Is the statements made within the piece, meaning that the athletic reached out for comment, and the comment that they received was so. It was such an underreaction from Wilkinson, the league, the courage, the thorns that again leads you to this feeling of, oh, they think this is fine. They, there is this feeling that this is going to blow over and that it's okay. And that I, I also want to mention within that, that I know there are a lot of people who work in this league who are not like this and who are working very hard to make this sport succeed but at the very top, it's just such a failure even to have a rational reaction to wrongdoing that I think is going to make it hard to go forward. And, and maybe this is where I want to pivot into. I want to talk a little bit about just sort of players now and us and as as media, because and this is a discussion that I'm sure we'll keep having for a while, but I was struck. I was struck this week, not only by positive change happening at the persistence of players, but also just the story being told by the one outlet that employs two full-time women's soccer writers in the United States and how this kind of abuse is not unique to women's sports. It happens in men's sports too, but it's not unique to sports either. Right. But it frequently happens when there isn't a lot of eyes on something and it requires those affected to be very persistent in speaking out. I guess my question now for you, Pardeep is, as a media person, you've been on calls, right? You've been on the Zoom calls. None of us have had a chance to really see or talk to any players in person in a very long time. Do you think the siloing 
of, of players who might have stories to tell and the lack of media investment also contributed to this. How could it not? Right. I mean, we're talking about players who are, I don't know, oppressed to such a degree where they feel both if you talk, it will hurt not just your chances at succeeding at a, uh, in a job that you love. It will hurt other people's uh, chances at, at succeeding in a job that they love. Obviously, that pressure of if you say something, the league might fold or whatever. Right. But also, if you say something, who's going to care? Right. Right. Again, it comes back to that the dynamic of these are players that are not national names right uh so already there's that sort of i mean in sports it's always that dynamic of oh well if you're not one of the best players on your team how much can do people really do you really deserve to be cared about right but really it's just an off the charts level of oppression for people who at the end of the day i would like to imagine not that many feel deserve unfair working environments they don't deserve abuse, but we don't really give them a, we as a society have not given them the belief that people care about them, that people care about, again, their humanity, the human cost of our, our disinterest takes a toll. And I'm not accusing people who don't take an interest in women's soccer, be they, be they media people or other people of enabling abusive behavior. But when, it, but when we as a collective group decide who the haves and who the have nots are, sometimes these are the consequences of those actions, right? It's not right. I, in terms of media organizations specifically, not all of them have to be structured like the athletic, Right. There are lots of different sure, ways. Yes, absolutely. To, yeah, yeah. There are lots of different ways to cover the full range of if you want to just talk about sports publications, we can talk about just sports publications in the United States. There are a lot of ways to structure it so that you get a healthy balance of not even just NWSL coverage, but women's sports coverage. Right. That you give players a platform and you give supporters and onlookers something to pay attention to an understanding that this is something that exists right or why things happen the way that they do i think what we've seen a lot this week is a vacuum in in people who don't know as much about the nwsl saying like how could this have happened and to many of us who have been covering the league for a long time you're like well this began many many years ago actually and then you go bam 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 through all of you know wsa folding and wps folding um and I think that I do, I think just to affirm what you were saying in, in this capitalistic environment, a person's value becomes directly tied to what they can add to your organization. And that is not unique to sports. It is not unique to women's sports, but you see it happening on all levels, right? A player's value to a team is what they contribute to the team where their humanity is lost, Right. Uh, a team's value to the league is in what they bring in, in revenue and, and optics and good PR, the value of women's sports in this society 
comes not from the actual validity and value that it has. It comes from how many people are watching it on TV, you know, how, how many people are going to see it live. And that culture of uncaring, like you said, is part of what breeds abuse. Um, and it goes the other way too, right? right. We sometimes like we val- we overvalue male athletes who perform on the uh in sporting arenas constantly and it doesn't and we oversubscribe humanity to those people right i mean this is almost a different topic but sometimes it isn't we can talk about i have to imagine a number of our listeners are familiar with cristiano ronaldo and right. how he is in the middle of a legal battle that uh over you know an accusation that he raped somebody in 2009. He refuses to come to the United States as a result because he doesn't want to be part of a legal process. But he recently rejoined Manchester United and I was floored by the ability of Manchester United fans and other Cristiano Ronaldo fans to oversubscribe humanity to him to say oh you look at the charity work he does he's a nice guy I I mean I remember hearing the coach of the team uh, of Manchester United when he recent when he had just signed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer saying he's a good person and I don't really know why anybody felt the need to include that sure (laughs) um yeah I mean to to sort of steer this into perhaps some, some final thoughts. Um, I guess maybe one other thing I did want to want to say, and I think this comes up from what you were just saying as well is in the aftermath of this, we've seen a lot of people talking about needing to hire women, right. Um, about the lack of value in society that we, we place on women, um, going back to those capitalistic structures, but also just the society that we've created around us. And I always want to be very careful about that for a number of reasons. One being that um, women can absolutely uh, perpetuate and enable abuse. And the other is that I want to be careful about it as well, because not everybody who plays in the NWSL identifies as a woman. But I think that those facts don't necessarily mean that the violence itself was not gendered. And so I think that in order to separate those two things, to to acknowledge that blindly, like this new executive committee is all white women, right? Yes. We don't know what that's going to help. Um, and I think that when you see something, especially when you read this story about what happened to Monashin and, and Sinead Farrelly, there was a lot of gendered violence there, gendered abuse. Um, and that lent, And that's where even just the casual homophobia surrounding them uh, enabled that all of those things. And I do think that that in many ways is not unique to women's sports, but it is part of it. Um, and so that is where you talk about the ripple effect. This goes back to how we structure everything that we do around gender. Um, but now, (laughs) and we don't have the answers. We're about to talk about some stuff that we have no answers for. They postponed. It was actually kind of hard to tell. Some teams were talking about rescheduling when they were when they suspended games over the weekend. Some teams were a little bit less willing to say, yes, there will be these games rescheduled. We are recording this on Monday. There's supposed to be a game on Wednesday. 
I guess party, I, I can imagine that we are both on the same page that we say that games should only resume when the players are ready. I will also say that I don't want this league to fold. I don't think that these players losing their jobs is the answer due to wrongdoing. Do you think that maybe the league needs a good two or three weeks off though? I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I, I feel that really the only well-intentioned people in this league right now are the players. So yeah, I'll just, I don't don't know if that's entirely true, but at least the people with any influence, right? uh, That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. Let me, thank you for helping me rephrase. No, I appreciate that. But I meant of the decision-making bodies of the decision-making properties. Absolutely. Yes. My, my, my apologies to anybody who might, uh, who might've accidentally uh, come under that. But um, yeah, I think, right. The players will be the ones operating with fully good intentions at the end of the day, they are the victims and survivors of this abuse. Right. And you, even if you want games to happen, you're not going to get good games. If these players are not ready to play them. Right. So if they need the time off, they need the time off. I would hope that everybody within the ecosystem both helps them with that and then works. It'll probably working overtime. Who are we kidding? To ensure that if these games get replay, if these games do eventually get played, that they get played in the best environments possible. And that, you know, it will be able to sustain the league. Right. I hope that there are some provisions being taken in order to keep this league sustainable. I, I, I don't think there's a single person here that wants this league to fold. Right. Even if they're badly intentioned, they don't want it to fold. But uh, it's the one thing that the players and the owners have in common right now is yes. that I don't think either party wants the league to go away. Yeah. And I have to imagine the players are taking that into very serious consideration themselves as they make every decision that they make. But just, I mean, at the end of the day, my overall feeling is whatever these players need yeah. should be given to them. Right. And and maybe this is my, my final thought um, is I know that fans have felt very conflicted over the last couple of months about John Halloran at, at Equalizer wrote a piece about this. I, there have other pieces that have been written about that conflict of interest of understanding that because of societal apathy and the structure of this league, that if the quote unquote diehards, if the people who care the most walk away, then that support, that is the support that the players need the most. Um, And I was struck by the rally held in Portland, the rally held in Seattle. Um, I know that Chicago Local 1-3, I think many different supporters groups at least convened themselves to make sure that they as supporters were okay. I've seen a lot of care and a lot of empathy in the wake of this. And I, I think that that, now that things are a little bit more out in the open, I think it's really good that players know that fans care about them because these players are told all the time that nobody cares about what they do. And now that, again, now that 
these structures are being questioned. I think the way forward has to be again with the owners capitulating to what the players want. And I think that the strength is in this relationship that the players association is building with the fans alone. Yes. I have to, I have to credit NWSL fans for a lot of things. I think, I think it's a really unique fan base in their support for players specifically. And to name just one example, I think, you know, the Washington spirit fans have thread threaded the needle very nicely on how they want to both show up to matches, but also want to protest Right, their owners. You know, they, you know, they're not bringing uh, banners, I think outside of, you know, ones that are telling Steve Baldwin to sell the team. Right. And they've opted not to, you know, sing or chant. I, like I said, I think they thread the needle really nicely. Yeah. I think really probably one of the most powerful things that we've seen over the course of the last several days is just the really, really clear support that the fans will offer these players. And it's not just actually this, this week, they've been doing it really consistently for a really long time. Yeah. And that, that I, I think is a really, really special thing about this league. I think that's, I think you said it's just a really important dynamic here that the Players Association and the players themselves are building a really great relationship with the fan bases. It's like the Players Association said, it takes the power back. It takes the power away from ownership. And that is also maybe where I stand on dismissals, which is I do think um, some owners probably need to go. Uh, but I also think that in lieu of that, what you do is you create an ecosystem where people who cannot be trusted don't have as much power over you. And I think that that is what is, is building right now. So, um, this is a discussion we'll be having probably from now until forever. Um, no concrete answers. I, I, I would think i would hope maybe that there are going to be games next weekend i know teams have continued training um but yeah we need to sit with this i think i think everybody needs to sit with this and it goes against the culture of sports because it's always churning always moving forward there's always new stuff um i think that it's good that there was a little bit of a stop um but i would also again support whenever the players feel ready to go again because this is all about them Thank you, Pardeep, for having this conversation with me. Not the easiest one. Um, Hopefully brighter days ahead. Uh, Want to shout out our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, who this week has been exceptional. We've all been checking in with each other, making sure everybody's okay. Um, We will continue to do our very best to cover this. I hope that goes for everybody listening, by the way. I know it's been a rough week for everybody. It's been a rough week for everybody. Um, And we're going to do our very best to get through this and it's not going to be perfect. And we ourselves are only just individuals sort of uh, processing this in our own time, but um, I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you to blue wire podcast, our distributor, and we will be back next week.